All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, it is Thursday, and so we are digging deeper into the Psalms. This week, continuing on, week two of Psalm 119, that great and wonderful super acrostic poem on the Word of God. Today, we're going to pick up with verse 33, and we'll see how far we get. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Here it is as we go through not only Psalm 119, but on Monday, we will be going through the third commandment and the not despising of God's word and its preaching, but to hold it sacred and to gladly hear and learn it. And that's exactly what we are looking for here in these verses. Teach me the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. And then with all this, help me to turn my heart away from the worthless things, the things that shouldn't even be looked at, the things that bring reproach that we dread, those things that we know we shouldn't do, but we end up doing them anyway. He ends this section with, Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. Give me that life which only comes by being washed in the blood of the Lamb, being saved by Christ. Because going through the law, as much as I try to uphold it, as much as I try to follow it to the letter, I still fall very short. So he continues on in verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Asking for God's righteousness to give us life, that is the same as his steadfast love coming to us, because his steadfast love is a facet of his righteousness, that that love never goes away, that love never fails, that love is the great love of God for his creatures, especially for those who are of his children by faith in Jesus. This is the great and wonderfulness that brings out from Psalm 119 that we can have these things. We can do the works of God, but it's only because we have the steadfast love of the Lord in us. It's only because we have Christ and the Holy Spirit working in us to will and to do these things. This is how we 
can say with a straight face and a straight heart that we long for God's commandments is because, yes, it's not our our sinful nature craving the law of God. It's the Holy Spirit working in us, prompting us to understand that God's law is good, that his word is righteous and able to give us salvation, not from the law itself, but from the promises. Therefore, he continually calls upon God's righteousness. He calls upon God's steadfast love. He calls upon God's mercy because they are also promised in his word. It's not just the law. It is the gospel as well. Jesus brings this portion of the psalm out when he talks to his disciples about the cost of discipleship, that they will be brought forward before the authorities, before kings, before magistrates to bear witness to their message. And this is exactly what the psalm says in verses 46 and 47. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments. We have this great promise that even as we see in the end of Acts, Paul is living this out, that he has sent before one king after another after another, one ruler after another, from one place to another, because of his proclamation of Jesus as the Messiah, his proclamation of Jesus as God in the flesh. And this is what is probably coming up for us as well, that we are going to have this issue, that we are going to be brought before the courts and judges and maybe governors and presidents and kings and so forth to provide a response for our preaching, to be given, like many Christians were in the first centuries, the opportunity to recant and to come back to our senses, according to the world, or face death. Because, unfortunately, that is that was the choice back then. I would not be surprised if maybe not in my lifetime, but in my children's lifetime, that becomes more of a thing as our society keeps going further and further away from wanting to hear the truth of the Christian faith. And the more we proclaim it, the more they want to silence us, but eventually that silence they're going to want to make permanent. But we will not be put to shame because we will be speaking the law of God. We'll be speaking his word, not ours, so that we might be seen as faithful witnesses to him, even in the midst of death. We continue on in verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, in which you made me you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. This is one of the greatest prayers that we could ever pray. Remember the word that you have spoken to your servant. And we see this over and over again in the Bible. 
We see Moses on top of Mount Sinai as God is ready to wipe out the Israelites because of the golden calf. Moses reminds God, you led this people out. You were the one who proclaimed to their ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. You proclaimed to Jacob that his 12 sons would be 12 tribes. We see it again as Jesus is on the cross and the repentant thief next to him saying simply, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's that remembrance. That is what holds us in the times of sorrow, in the times of struggle, in the times of darkness in our lives, is that we do have something outside of ourselves, concrete and sure. We have the word of the living God. It may not look that great to us. We may have worked ourselves into a position that we can't get ourselves out of. And only by the grace of God can we get out of it. And so we pray, remember me. Remember the promises that were given to me. And this is, even Luther says throughout the, oh, the Middle Ages, that even the most ardent person wanting to strive to do all the right works, do all the pilgrimages, everything else that the Pope had put together for salvation, in the very end, with their dying breaths, they're still praying that prayer, Jesus, remember me. Let me see the fulfillment of your promises. They're not, <clears throat> they're not banking on their works and what they've done. They eventually turn to Jesus, knowing that what they have is not enough. Knowing that anything that we accomplish is not enough. So we pray for God to remember his word, remember his promises to his people so that we might rejoice in them. This is my comfort in my affliction, the psalm says, that your promise gives me life. We finish off with verses 57 to 64. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes." Again, entreating the favor of God, keeping God as our portion, which comes out over and over again in the Psalms, that truly what we strive for in this life is God's promise being fulfilled for us. And so we have one of these great moments, and we have a couple more of them in Psalm 119. Verse 62 at midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. In the ancient world and even in the medieval monasteries, even up to today, there were the canonical hours of prayer 
Those times set aside every day. Each had their own specific readings. Each one had portions of the Psalms that they did. Each had its own liturgy. And you started at midnight. And you would go on through, all the way through. Uh, later on in the Psalm it says, Seven times a day I praise your name. So there were seven hours of the day. You had prime, which was an hour after getting up. You had terse, which was the third hour. Sex, which is the sixth hour, about noon. Non, which is the ninth hour. You had vespers. You had, um, I forget what the last one was, and then Compline at the end. So you had the seven hours that you were there, and especially in the monasteries, that was what they prided themselves on, is that, oh, you go to church every Sunday. Hmm. I go to church seven times a day. I'm a much better Christian than you are. Yeah, we've seen the stories and heard all the things that have happened in the monasteries and the convents that, yeah, they're no different than us. Just because they're in church more often, they may have more of the Bible memorized or whatever. That means absolutely nothing when it comes down to who is the better Christian. Because we're all equal in the eyes of God. We all have Christ. And that is all we need. It doesn't matter if you are the person who is baptized on the day that you were born. You know, Moments after coming out of the womb because there is something that is direly wrong with you and your parents had you baptized right then. You were just as good a Christian there as the 100-year-old who has spent the 100 years since their baptism doing the works of God. It's all the same because it's all the same gift. It's all the gift of salvation. And that is what we are looking at next week as we go through the next few sections of Psalm 119, that longing for salvation, especially in those dark times. But in the times that are bright, we have all these wonderful words from the psalm, the keeping the commandments, the longing for the precepts, the walking in the commandments. All these things are only done because of our salvation, because we have been given new life in Christ. And it doesn't matter how long it's been since that gift was given, it is the same gift. Just like it was for the thief on the cross moments before he died, even as it was for Peter and James and John who had followed Jesus since he first started preaching or even go back into the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them, the same promise, the promise of salvation through Christ. All right, that's it for this week. I am Pastor Doug Minton, thanking you for digging deeper with me into the Psalms. I encourage you to come back Monday for the confessional corner as we dig into the small and large catechisms of Luther, continue on through the Digging Deeper episodes, and if you are a wrestling fan, come in Wednesdays for Pro Wrestling America. What I would do if I had a pro professional wrestling promotion. But until then, 
This is Pastor Doug thanking you for being here and hoping that you are better equipped today to wrestle with the theologies around you. Amen.